0: Well we are on week 2 of our wonderlust series and wonderlust is really about a passion for the journey. A passion for the journey. We want to see developed in every single one of us this excitement and this energy, this enthusiasm about where God is taking us. And the reality that we landed on last week is that God wants us constantly moving forward. God wants us constantly moving forward. We are not designed to stay in one place. We're not designed to be in a rut that just repeats day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, then we die. God wants us constantly moving forward. And uh, our, our favorite moment last week was our friend uh, the squirrel here. The road of life is paved with flat squirrels that didn't move. God wants us moving forward. Now, the reason I bring that up again is because uh, last Monday, after the uh, message, I got a, uh, an email from um, someone who goes to Rancho and says, I got a sign from God. And I thought, okay, here we go. Usually, what's contained in an email like that is not real good. So I braced myself, and he says, you know what? Right after your sermon, we were taking a walk and saw a flat squirrel on the road and thought it was a sign from God. They took a picture of it, sent it to me with a smiley face. It says, hey, we're listening, pastor. So I thought that was kind of funny. But God wants us moving forward. He doesn't want us to stay put. But the reality is moving is difficult. Moving is very difficult. No doubt you have moved at some point in your life. You know, you're packing up your stuff. You're moving on to the next de- uh, destination. It's a hard thing. You've got to sort of sift through all of your stuff, you know, that you've accumulated over the years. And, and you've got to decide what if it is just junk that we have to toss? What if it is kind of precious to us that we want to keep as our legacy going forward? And how do we really open ourselves up for this new adventure that God has for us in our new location? Moving isn't exactly easy. I met with a, a new friend of mine this last week. We had breakfast together. He's moving from San Jose to Temecula, and he had lived in his house for 30 years, raised his kid in this house, his kids in this house, and he's got a big barn out back, and so you can imagine that's just full of all kinds of stuff. You know, 30 years of their entire life is in this stuff, and they're downsizing, and so they've got to get rid of a lot of things, Right? And it's emotionally painful for them to sift through it. It's a difficult thing to move. My wife and I have moved 13 times. uh, 13 times in the first 12 years of our marriage. And then we've been now in the same house for 12 years. And I'm antsy to move again. My wife says, no, we're staying. But every time we've moved, um, we always fight about this thing right here. We always fight about this rust bucket that was once, I think, somebody's toy. Kind of a fire engine has that little, you know, bell thing. And every time we move, I take that in the dead of night towards the trash can. And my wife has this radar, and she says, stop. And I am seized, and she has a flashlight. Do not throw that away. And and we fight about this every single time we move. If our marriage ends, it's going to be because of this thing right here. Why are we keeping this? I mean, the thing's just a mess. And she says, well, maybe one day we'll restore it. Sure, right? <laughs> of all the things we do in life, one day we're going to restore it. Well, it might be worth some money. Ah, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I checked eBay. What did one of these things worth, you know, totally restored, what did one of these things worth? $75. It'll take us 800 to restore this thing so we can sell it for $75. And so she said, you know, one of the times we were moving, she says, "Well, I think this was my grandfather's," and she was really close with her grandfather. And so she just imagines her grandfather played in this fire truck when he was young. Okay, that's kind of that's kind of cool. So this um, we're going through some cleaning up right now. We just did some remodeling, and we're tossing a lot of stuff out. And so I do what I always do, and I pointed to this thing in the garage and just gave her that look. What are we doing? She says, You know what? It's probably time to throw that out. No, we can't, <laughs> we can't throw it out. We're keeping it. So, anyway, we, we have it. And it will, I, I told my wife, I, I'm bearing this thing with you. If you go first, I'm bearing it with you. But it'll be very, very cool. Uh, it's hard to move on because when we talk about going from where we are to where God wants us, there's a lot in life that needs to be set aside. There's some old that needs to be done away with. There's some legacy that needs to be carried forward. And there needs to be an openness to whatever God has for us going ahead. In fact, in Ephesians 4, it talks about this moving forward idea. And the Apostle Paul says, put off your old self. There's some things about our old life that need to be put off, right? There are some decisions we made that were mistakes. There's some habits that we have that by God's grace we can move forward from. Maybe some you know, emotional things that we need some healing from. Put off the old self. And be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self, get this, created to be like God. The new self is created to be like God. Now, this was our, our theme last week. We talked about Romans 8, which says we are destined. In other words, our destination is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We are called by God to be like Jesus Christ. We are to be made new in the attitude of our mind, created to be like God. And so we wrestled through this last week, this gap between where we are and the likeness of Christ. And for pretty much all of us, I would assume, we can never imagine that one day we will be exactly like Jesus Christ. So we asked ourselves this question last week. By God's grace and by God's spirit, and by the encouragement of God's people, can we live a little more like Christ tomorrow than we did today? What was our answer last week? Yeah, we can. God's given us all we need to live a little more like Christ tomorrow than we did today. And so while we may never imagine us attaining the full likeness of Jesus Christ, we can imagine this journey every day of becoming a little more like Jesus We can get our heads around that one. So that's what this wanderlust is all about. That's the idea of journeying towards the likeness of Christ and developing a passion to become more like him every passing day. So the question for today is how do we journey towards the likeness of Christ? There are two things that we absolutely have to have if we are going to journey towards the likeness of Christ. We need to be grounded in grace and connected in community. Grounded in grace and connected in community. Our number one priority here at Rancho, we have five of them. Our number one priority is is revealing God's transforming grace. Our number one priority is revealing God's transforming grace because most of the world, the vast majority of the world, including the vast majority of people in Christian churches, they don't live grounded in grace. They live grounded in law. Grounded in law. Now, law is this culture of rules and regulations and expectations, and I'm telling you, the religious culture is all about the law. In fact, for, for many people, um, most of our upbringing is about the law. Perhaps when we were growing up at home, um, perhaps our well-intended parents just talked about the things that we're doing wrong. You have to do better at this and better at that and better at your chores and better at your grades and better, 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 right? And so maybe we grew up in a culture of law. And then you go to school, and there's rules and regulations. And we join a sport, there's rules and regulations. And, you know, uh, we get a job, and there's rules and regulations. And you go to church, and that's the worst. You go to church, and it's the worst. Here are God's expectations of you. Here's where you're failing, and here's how to do better. And so for most people, vast, vast majority of people, we are raised in a culture of law, rules, regulations, expectations, Well, God wants us to move from a culture of law to a culture of grace, so he sent his son Jesus to reverse a culture of law and lead us into a relationship of grace. In fact, I'll put it this way. Human flourishing, which is kind of the buzz phrase of the day here, human flourishing comes when we move from law to grace. We won't thrive unless we move from law to grace. Now, to be clear, when we are young and immature, we need a little bit of law, when we are young and immature, we need a little bit of law. When we are, say, you know, 10 years old and we have pulled ourselves up on the coffee table and we are now exploring this whole free world, we can get ourselves in serious trouble, right? We're not quite ready to reason through things, and so we need a, a little bit of law. You know, hey, if you pull that boiling water on your face, you're going to get a little swat on the hand, right? Um, if you are, are carrying scissors, don't point them at your heart and run around, right? There are rules in place. To get people to survive the age of two. Right? It's pretty important. But if I'm having to come alongside of my 17-year-old sons and say, hey, listen, now don't run with scissors pointed at your heart, then we have trouble in the Treadway house, right? Because now you're moving from law to a more mature way of living, which is consideration of, of one another, consideration of ourselves. When we're in school, you know, you start kindergarten class, and some of you maybe start in kindergarten this, this coming semester, You know, your hands are folded on the table, and the teacher, for the first you know, half a day, lets you know the rules and regulations of kindergarten. If you want to talk, you raise your hand first. Don't go potty in your chair. You know, just the basics, right? And there's a little system of punishment and reward. You go from green card to yellow card to red card. If you can avoid a red card, you're going to get stars, and there's a whole complex system, right? Of, of reward and punishment. If you go to a you know, Rancho Christian High School class right there across the hallway, if you see gold stars and red, yellow, and whatever cards, we're in big trouble because by the time you get to be a senior in high school, you would hope that you're not motivated by punishment and reward, but you're motivated by a vision of success and consideration towards others around you. When we first get our driver's license, it's all about the law. When you first get the driver's license, these kids are steeped in law, right? You read a book that thick on the laws of the road. You're taking online tests. You are taking physical tests. You're taking driver's tests on the law. And there's all kinds of, you know, fear instilled in these kids. Fear of breaking the law, fear of punishment, fear of getting in an accident, right? Or red asphalt, whatever it is. I mean, there's a lot of fear instilled in kids when they're first driving, and rightfully so because you have 16 year olds that don't have fully developed brains that are you know, driving around a three ton killing machine at 70 miles an hour. So law is there to keep you know, immaturity contained so that people survive. When we're first married, it's good to have some rules and regulations. In fact, we have a lot of premarital counseling around here because it's difficult for two people to become one and live in the same household, right? And so there are some rules about communication tools and, and rules about how to fight fair and how to reconcile, and, and there's a lot of things that we help couples with. But when you're married 20, 30 years, hopefully you don't need the rules anymore because there's now a relationship of grace where you're caring for the other person and serving them, right? Right? So the law is only meant to manage immaturity. This is critical. Law is only needed to manage immaturity. So when God gave us the law, God gave us the Ten Commandments, God gave us the first five books of the Bible 3,500 years ago. This was God's first sort of, you know, rule book to keep immature civilizations from destroying themselves or destroying each other. So God gave us the law purely to navigate immaturity. 1,500 years after God gave the law, he sent his son Jesus Christ to bring something more mature. He came to bring grace. In fact, the book of John says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus. Jesus brought something new, something fresh, something more mature, which is grace. He brought grace to free us from the law. So we don't need the law anymore. The law doesn't oversee us, right? Right? And I'm talking about God's law. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. Romans 7, 6 says this. We have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The old way of navigating the law is this old way of thinking about our relationship with God. We do things for him. He does stuff for us. That's the old way of the law. Jesus brought the new way of the Spirit or the new way of grace. We're freed or released from the law. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 very famously says this, it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. In other words, we don't save ourselves by doing good works. We don't save ourselves by obeying the law. Salvation comes by grace alone. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In the world of religion, we pat ourselves on the back. Look how holy I am, look at how I obey God's law, and look what sinners they are, right? That's saving ourselves. God's word says we're saved by grace alone, God's grace alone through Christ alone. Galatians 3.25 says this, now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. We are no longer under the supervision of the law. The 10 commandments don't rule over us. The first five books of the Bible don't rule over us. Why? Because we are more mature in Christ. We don't need the written code anymore because we have God's grace through Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, 4-5 says this, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son to redeem those under the law that we might receive full rights as sons. Jesus came to free us from being under the law because under the law, God is the master and we are the servant and he gives us the commands to obey. If we obey, he blesses. If we disobey, he curses. That law was given when we were immature. Now Christ comes and says, I'm no longer your master, I'm your brother. And now there's a relationship here, and it's a relationship of grace. We're no longer under the law. We're no longer under the Ten Commandments. When I wake up every day, I do not think to myself, you know what? I just might murder somebody today. I just might take somebody's wife, and I just might steal somebody's car. Oh, wait, let's look at the Ten Commandments. No, I shouldn't. I don't have to do that. The Ten Commandments don't mean anything anymore. Why? Because we're in a more mature spot. We're in a place of love and grace. If I love you, I'm not going to kill you. If I love you, I'm not going to take your wife. If I love you, I'm not going to jack your car. So love essentially nullifies the law. The law was there for a purpose, to manage us in immaturity. But now in Christ, we do not need the law anymore. Now, some people might hear that and say, well, you know what, now you're talking about cheap grace. And I've heard this quite a bit, Uh, Bonhoeffer, MacArthur, there's a whole world out there that says we cannot have cheap grace. And and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, we can. In fact, it's not cheap, it's free. If we try to pay any price for God's grace by our own works, by our own religion, by our own obedience to the law, then we nullify grace entirely give you a couple of uh, examples. We were in Cuba last month and there was a a very cool man who was umpiring the games we were playing. We we brought our baseball team down there and and, uh, we were able to share uh, the the love of Christ to other baseball teams and to the community uh, through this sport. It's a love in Cuba. And uh, so this one umpire um, umpired most of the games and he was a very poor, desperately poor, homeless man in Cuba who was a little mentally ill. But he loved baseball. He was a baseball fanatic, and he was known in the region as being a good umpire, so he would umpire a lot of community games, and he, he, and he loved to umpire all, our games. Now, after the week, um, we got some folks together and said, listen, we got to compensate this guy, right? Uh, he's given a lot of time. He's given a whole week, and he did a great job. Let's compensate him. And so we did a little investigation. What's a fair price to umpire a game? He did six games, and so it was my job to come up to him afterwards and show appreciation and to compensate him. So I came alongside of him, just shook his hand, gave him a little hug, hey man, thanks. You did a great job all week. got to know him a little bit and just discreetly wanted to compensate him with a few Cuban uh, kooks, that's their dollars, and just to kind of pass it to him real quickly. And so I put it in his hand and he looked at it and he he goes, no. And I said, "We, we insist, you know, we want to compensate you, you did a great job. And then he starts walking away like this. And immediately I realized, hey, this guy is giving us a gift. And if I try to pay for that, it's going to offend him. And it's going to nullify his gift. So I just thanked him very much for his work. And, uh, and we, had a great, you know, we had a great time afterwards. If we try to pay for a gift, it's offensive. On Friday night, my wife and I were hanging out with a couple friend of ours, and we exchanged gifts. It was our anniversary. They gave us a little gift. Her birthday, we gave them a little gift. We exchanged gifts. Now, what if after we exchanged gifts, I pulled out some money? Hey, you want a five for that gift? That gift was really cool. Can I give you a, you know, a few bucks? I mean, that's insane, right? God gives us a free gift of love, grace, forgiveness. It has nothing to do with us. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. He just gives us love and forgiveness by grace through Jesus Christ. He sent us his son who died on a cross to pay for our sins. Our sins are done. He paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. They are done. In God's eyes, our sin does not even exist. He looks at us as perfect and pure. He looks at us as perfect sons and perfect daughters. You are mine. It is a free gift. If we try to say, oh, yeah, but God, I got to earn it. I got to earn it by being obedient. I got to earn it by obeying the Ten Commandments. I got to earn it by being religiously devout. I have to earn it by praying on a schedule and reading my Bible on a schedule and sharing my faith and all the disciplines, you know. And if I earn it from God, then God will keep giving me grace. That's just the junk of religion that Jesus set us free from. Romans 6 says this, the wages of sin is death. Thankfully, Jesus paid the price for us. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a free gift. God wants us grounded in grace. He wants us grounded in a culture of grace and a culture of love. And a culture of love completely nullifies or makes obsolete, Hebrew says, the law. Galatians 5.14. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love trumps every command. The grace of God means that we don't need the laws, the rules and regulations to keep us in line. We're free. You see, we cannot move forward until we are grounded in grace. If we are steeped in religion, if we are steeped in law, if we are steeped in this understanding that we do for God, he does for us, we're going nowhere. We are stuck and we will be the flat squirrel. Stuck, we're not journeying anywhere towards the likeness of Christ. He wants us grounded in grace. Finally, he wants us connected in community. Connected in community. God did not design us just for a personal relationship with him. He designed us to live in community with one another. Ephesians 4, 8 says this. This is a a story from King Solomon, probably talking about himself. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He was a man of success and prosperity, but he was alone. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. He was alone, so he was miserable. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. God designed us to be connected in community. Grounded in grace, but connected in community. In fact, when Jesus was calling his disciples together, he said something radically profound. He says, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Jesus says, it's no longer about a master-servant relationship. A master-servant relationship is a relationship of laws and rules and regulations and expectations. Jesus says, you are no longer my servant. You are my, what? Friend. We are together in relationship with Jesus Christ. We are connected with Jesus Christ and connected to each other. God wants us grounded in grace and connected in community. I've been very honest over the years about my own uh, propensity towards isolationism, right? Um, If I had my way when I was young, I would just be by myself my entire life. That was kind of my sweet spot. Um, In my childhood, my dad was angry alcoholic and he just poured venom into my brother and I. And, uh, you know, most of you know the story. My brother was very emotionally impacted by that, and my dysfunction was to just shut off all emotion. I wasn't going to let my dad hurt me, so I just stood there still, never was impacted by anything he said. I was also, you know, insecure, skinny, stuttering, and so I didn't make a whole lot of friends in school. Just had a few friends and, and just sort of this emotionless connection with my home. And then I started my walk with God, and I had two youth pastors and one mentor who were pouring into me this lordship salvation idea. Lordship salvation is the idea that, yeah, God is gracious to you, but you can only keep that grace or prove that grace when you are obedient to him. That's what I was raised in for about a decade. God will give grace to you if you are obedient to him. If you want to know you're truly saved, then be obedient to God. And so I was trying, trying, trying to be more obedient and more faithful and more devout. And I brought that even into my early ministry as youth pastor here. And so my whole wiring from my childhood to uh, my formative years to my religious upbringing was wired for isolation. It was just about performing, performing, performing. And in the year 2000 is when I had my grace awakening. My wife and I were drifting My ministry was just, you know, just tough. And and it was just, there was just a weight, this weight of expectation, right? And performance. Everything was weighing down. I had three young kids, and I wasn't connecting with them the way I wanted to. So I had a grace awakening in my driveway uh, one afternoon in the year 2000. And I began to understand God's grace. And I began to realize that I had to turn from this culture of law and rules and expectation to a culture of grace and a culture of relationship. And I began a grace awakening in my walk with God and a grace awakening in my marriage and a grace awakening with my kids. And I have been on now a 17-year journey of a grace awakening. I will not tell you I've arrived, but I will tell you that every day is getting better and better and better. Grounded in grace, connected in community. And I started going through the risk of opening up my life to the lives of others and letting people know where I struggle, letting people know where I'm still insecure, letting people into my life so I didn't have to just have sort of this persona, but to let genuine friendship into my life. And it's an incredible journey um, that both my wife and I are walking. It's a, a pleasure to be grounded in grace and connected in community. A couple of decades ago, a friend of mine, when he was very young, was traveling from Dallas to California on a road trip. Dallas to California on a road trip. And uh, as he was uh, traveling, he was by himself, started really early, and he left when it was still dark, and he got on I-20. And after about five um, hours down the road, the sun started rising in front of him, which should have been his first clue that something desperately wrong was going on. And he ran across this sign five hours into the journey welcome to Louisiana. And his stomach just sank and he realized he had been going the entire time the wrong way. The wrong way. And you can imagine that feeling. (laughs) Now, he was very young and by himself. So you give the guy a little bit, bit of a break there, turn around and had to start all over again, losing an entire day of his trip. A lot of us are starting on the i20 in the wrong direction we are going down the, the direction of law rules expectations going down the direction of religion you do for god he does for you and we take that into our relationships we take that into our family and our marriage we take that into our work and it's all about navigating expectations and performance god says at some point you have to realize it's the wrong direction And for me, it was the year 2000 where I had that grace awakening that it is nothing but God's love poured out upon me and all I do is receive it. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to prove it. I don't have to work for it. It is all about what God gives to me and all I do is receive it. And when we are turning from law to grace Real life, real flourishing emerges, and it has impact in every single relationship. By God's design, he wants us grounded in grace and connected in community. For some of you, your grace awakening might even be today. It might be today. If you're a guest here and you've not heard this message, and you are here expecting this religious kind of same old, same old, here's what you've done wrong, here's what you need to do better, and then God will approve of you, today might be the day of your grace awakening. It's all about God's love not as a master lording over you, but as a father who loves you and says, you're my perfect son and perfect daughter. And today he wants you turned around on a whole new direction of grace. That can start for you today. And for those of you who might come to church, but you're not yet connected with Christ-centered friendships, we want to encourage you. We are about to, to launch our fall semester later in, uh, in August. Get connected with a group. Get connected with a small group. Get connected with a, service, uh, a serving team. And really live out the pleasure of being grounded in grace and connected in community. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you have called us not into a religion with rules and expectations and regulations and laws. But you call us to a community grounded in grace and connected relationally with you and with one another. God, if we've been going down the road of of religion and religious expectations, thinking that we have to do things for you to earn things from you, I pray that today we would turn that around and realize that the journey towards Christlikeness is not the journey into more devoted religion, but it's actually a journey away from religion and into a relationship of grace, grounded in grace, where we just simply receive forgiveness and new life through Christ Jesus, your son. God, I also pray that we would be connected for those of us who might be a little bit isolated. We don't have true, genuine, deep, open relationships friendships that are Christ-centered. I pray that perhaps even this fall we would commit to joining a group and getting to know some people over uh, good food and good discussions uh, in a way that really has us connected well so that we don't live the miserable life that King Solomon talked about where he is toiling through life with no one to share it with. I pray that every relationship would be powerfully impacted by your love and grace for us. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen.